Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to another edition of Life Behind Bars. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the Daily Beast half-full editor. Joining me, as always, is my colleague and co-host, David Wondrich. How are you, Dave? I'm good, Noah. Yourself? I'm good. I am really looking forward to today's episode. Uh, we get to uh, chat with one of our um, nearest and dearest friends, uh, King Cocktail himself, Dale DeGroff. Uh, one, think, one of the best talkers there is. <laughs> Amazing this, stories. This, should, this is not going to be hardship duty. No, no. I, uh, this is going to be really fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. He has a new edition of his book, The Craft of the Cocktail, which is sort of one of the pioneering seminal uh, cocktail books for uh, the rebirth of the cocktail, uh, which came out uh, 18 years ago. And he has a new edition, which just came out, um, the, the new craft of the cocktail. So um, we talked to him about the book and the rebirth of the cocktail, which is sort of uh, the father of the rebirth of the cocktail. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Welcome, Dale. Thanks for joining us today. I'm delighted to be here. Absolutely. Two of my best mates. <laughs> Thank you. Well, well congratulations on uh, the publication of the, the new edition of your book. It's so exciting. Thank you very much. I'm delighted that it's done. <laughs> I mean, it's a thing of beauty also. It came out so very well. Thank you. Hey, listen, I got to tell you, Daniel Krieger, uh, he was such a blast. Audrey lent us her bar, Audrey at Pegu Club in New York City, lent us her bar from like 10 in the morning till. 2.30 in the afternoon. I have never seen anybody. You know, David, uh, Daniel Krieger shoots like you drink. <laughs> One every minute and a half. <laughs> With great deliberation, Dale. <laughs> it's all the pre-planning. My That's wife is listening. Yeah. It's the pre-planning, right. It's the pre-planning. That's the secret <laughs> to Dave's drinking and Daniel's photography. So We were doing like 13 and 14 setups uh, a day. In, in the oh, last oh, that's time. amazing. Yeah, the last time I did this, we did four. You know, right? Right. Such a pleasure. Our colleague Phil Green um, wrote up a piece about the book. Um, Cost me a fortune that piece. <laughs> <laughs> we came up with this idea where we asked different people for their, you know, their memories of the book and how important it was, and just how influential it was. And um, you know, looking at all the books that I have now, um, when it came out, there was I only had probably about I don't know five books, but now I have a lot more cocktail and spirits books. But it really is. You know, it's time for a new edition because my first edition yeah. is is in tattered shape. I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> that's that a book line. that gets used for sure. I didn't at first want to do it. I think I may have told you, uh, one of you at least, that I, I, I was kind of making some pretty decent money on the other book for for a lot, a lot of years, right up till you know present. And I didn't feel that the I felt the book was a book of its time and. I, I, it wasn't. There was nothing compelling enough to make me want to give up the money mm -hmm. to tell you the truth and take it off the market with a new edition that who knows may or may not sell. You know, so right, that, right. that came into the to the planning and and then after a while I started to think pretty deeply about it 
and read back over the old craft and realize that, oh yeah, I really do need to straighten some stuff out here. And I've got so many mates in the, in the, in the craft world that are doing extraordinary things. I'd like to shine some light on them. And I'd like to tell the story of the craft movement and where it came from and how the culinary world was, had such an important part to play. And this gave me the opportunity to do that stuff because I wanted to do another book, which was turned down by Random House specifically about that. And they just said, Yawn. <laughs> you know, it gave me that opportunity to do stuff like that. And it also gave me opportunity after Essential Cocktail to get back to my own voice and speak as me instead of speaking through a, through a writer. And that, that never worked. Essential Cocktail never really worked. The first edition of the Craft of the Cocktail came out, I mean, almost 18 years to today, right? It was, it was yesterday, I guess. If you consider the two-year process, it was a 20-year process. Yeah. We signed a mm-hmm. contract in 2000, I believe it was. You know. I remember seeing galleys in 2001 or something yeah. like that when we were in London together, Dale. The galleys, remember those? You'd write right on them and now it's all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing I remember most starkly was when I turned the manuscript in and it came back the next day by overnight messenger. Wow. With a really curt letter that said, Dear Mr. DeGroff, we have contracted you for a book of 75,000 words. You have delivered a book of 135,000 words. You have delivered two books of 135,000 <laughs> words. You have two weeks or else you will be a breach of contract. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. Uh, I, I had the same problem with the first edition of Imbibe. <laughs> really? Oh, my God. It, it came back to terrible. me. It was like, oh, what do I do now? Now I'm really screwed. I called Anthony Giglio, my buddy who I knew from magazine writing, and I said, help. <laughs> what was in those other tens of thousands of words that you had included? A whole chapter called Theme Cocktail Parties. It was the it was the Rat Pack theme, the... the uh, James Bond theme. I had all this great. I, I feel like this is like, you know, like we talk, uh, we've talked about in previous episodes about Jerry Thomas's lost second book, right? Nobody's ever seen yeah. it, you know? And I kind of feel like this is like the modern era version of that. Like I would love to read those other 50,000 words. <laughs> you turned in. You know, what's sad about that is over the years, as I've traded in old computers for new yeah. computers, and the fact that that original manuscript is gone now, I never saved it. You know, as a matter of fact, I couldn't wait to throw it in the garbage. But um, <laughs> really, I don't have any record right. of the stuff Aww. that was cut from the book. Honest to God, I don't. I, I, at first, I, oh, kept a while thinking I might do a book about themed cocktail parties. But then I got busy and life moved on. And I'm not a writer, really. You know, I'm not. I do other things. And so I, I, I've lost it. it. It's gone. It's in... DOS or whatever kind of program you can't <laughs> find it anymore. It's gone. You know, you know, archaeologists, I can barely reach some of the files I did five years ago. Now you got to you got to save your ma- your manuscripts and donate them to somebody. That way, at least somebody will have it. You know? I, you know, I wish I had. I did finally save the last galley of craft, and I think I sent it to the museum. I sent yours, your galley, David, and I sent uh, uh, some of my other mates galleys to the museum they wanted to have stuff like that especially if they were written and scribbled on that made it even more interesting you know i have to admit i had a press galley like but like before it was bound of the original craft i remember it was large it was like kind of like on legal paper oh, the galleys they sent around to you guys yeah and yeah, and, yeah they and, were big and i had it for a long time and i think it it disappeared. I, I have a galley still of um, essential uh, cocktail. That um, really wasn't a real good book. I have to say, I like that book. You know, I liked got it a lot too. It. There were some nice recipes, but the voice was not mine, and the stories were barely mine. And 
when I first turned in craft, um, we shot George Arambol, this wonderful Czech man. I remember George well. What a character he yeah. was. Lovely oh man. Oh, my God. He, he was a glass shooter. He shot all of Del Chihuly's albums, so he knew glass, and he shot, you know, he ended up shooting for, like, Corning, and he shot for these giant, uh, ridiculously $100,000 watch catalogs. He shot that stuff. So, anyway... Um, George uh, made these beautiful photographs and I did the setups as usual, you know, and then we turned him in and the art director, she was really in the cookbook world and she sends a note to, to me. Uh, she said, this is also dark. It, it's also like, oh, I don't know, rat packy, you know, and, and I'm like, yeah. Not in a good, not in a good way, that, I imagine. <laughs> you know, so I went to my editor I showed the photographs that George and I had done to him, and he goes, oh, I love these. And I'm telling you, I was like, oh, my God, thank you. Because you know what she said to me? I want to see some more, I don't know, brighten it up, pastels. And I'm going, what? <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a different book. You know, it was a different time. Was, I mean, 20 years ago, you know, there, there weren't a lot of other cocktail books out there, right? And the ones that were out there had been out some of them for decades, right? Or they hadn't yeah. really been updated or they look kind of like the phone book, right? You know, yeah, well, like, there's, you know, Boston, it came out every few years. It was, uh, well, the, Stephen Kendrick Cunningham always came out with his little black 1500 drink book every year. Exactly. But I mean, no, fo no photos. I mean, it was nothing, you know, no, just list of ingredients. You yeah. Know? That's what drove me crazy. You know how hard it was to sell and buy a history book on cocktails? <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my god I oh mean, my god it's not exactly that yeah. took a long time that, that, or really not interested no. you conquered that with imbibe and imbibe too you, you have really conquered it uh in terms of selling a book about the history of the cocktail because your book sells like crazy it took a lot of luck i have to say i thought i knew people in publishing who would uh who would go for it and once they looked at it they just politely turned around and uh, you know put the phone down <laughs> That was the last I heard from them. <laughs> That's the same reception. You know, the, the publishing companies these days are really doing business a little different way. There's a lot of uh, weight given to all the salespeople around the country. They send lists and, pro and projects of, of, of treatment of new books that, that they're thinking about, and they send them all around the country to these senior salespeople, and they give them a lot of weight. So if they say, well, this will never sell, you know, they, if they hear that enough times back from the road, it's not like there's an editor sitting up above, uh, uh, you know, Fifth Avenue, you know, who read Hemingway's books. Yeah, this is the guy. We're going to go with him. Right, you know, right. Those are gone. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's all marketing. Now it seems like, you know, kind of like a no-brainer for you to have written a book, you know what I mean? But at the time, you know, there weren't a lot of bartenders who had written books like in the modern era, right? I mean, we'd seen a lot of books written by bartenders in the 1800s, you know, 20s, the 30s even. I, I don't think there was enough prestige to to the job of bartender. I don't think I don't think people saw uh, the bartender in the same light that they saw the bartender prior to prohibition. And and you know, when he when the most senior and most skilled guys were we're sort of on a level with maitre d' of hotel, you know, uh, in, in the sense of as, as a profession. So, so all those years post-prohibition, you know, really, you know, look at the books they did publish. There were little thin pa paperback books, cheaply made with lists of ingredients, or, or they were thrown together by, by uh, uh, tabletop uh, uh, fancy 
with fancy mm. photographs that really didn't have a lot to do with much except they were made like cookbooks, you know, and they were, they were end table books that were intended to be pretty and big with a lot of beautiful fancy f- photographs and some pretty bullshit recipes, you know, <laughs> basically. And, and the, the other ones were, were, were done by uh, the guys who ran uh, bartending schools and those were aimed at just basically meatball bartending you know yeah and it's and it said get, things, get it done ounce and half a sour mix and you know <laughs> yeah exactly you stretch it out ingredients uh you know they covered ingredients like uh, like uh, creme de menthe it's green it tastes yeah. like mint. <laughs> next ingredient you know i remember dale like one of the first times that we you know we we had met and then when you were at blackbird and then we really got to hang out. You were doing a course at the Marriott Marquis that like I got invited to where you teach, you know, maybe 10 or 12 of us like in the lobby. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And you had just convinced them to switch from using sour mix to fresh juice by showing them it would actually be cheaper for like every ounce. And that was, that That was major. I mean, that blew my mind. Like, wow. Oh my God. Like the Marriott's going to like give up like, sour mix like they're actually use fresh juice like this is incredible like who is this guy and (laughs) i I remember like you know every tuesday night i would come and we'd make cocktails and we had a setup and that was that was huge i mean that for me that was really you know kind of um where really learned about stuff uh, it was an extension of what andre and imar andre imar and i used to do at windows on the world uh called spirits in the skybox um and the last one of course was after andre had left the company some few years before and it was the head bartender and i doing them and i was sort of finishing out my contract from the pop-up blackbird (laughs) 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 the last one i did was a was a tequila and we did a tasting and we did four tequila drinks and that was September 10th, 2001, and I closed the bar. And, and mm-hmm. when I say I closed the bar, 11 bottles of Vuv later. I wasn't exactly happy with my management people at the time, so I was signing checks like a drunken sailor. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I had invited all a bunch of friends that came to the class, and we – we weren't going to stay all night, but then this woman DJ came on. It was just brilliant. So we started dancing and we had dinner and, and stayed until closing. And that was the last I saw of the world's greatest bar, which by the way, when they first named it and I'm the head bartender at the rainbow room, our other property, I'm going, what the hell? Yeah, <laughs> the world's greatest bar. <laughs> what made you want to write the original craft of the cocktail? Well, that's easy story because uh, at, at, at Blackbird, I had such a great clientele. It was such a great place. It had such potential, but the business plan got screwed uh, by opening for lunch. John Hodgman was my agent, uh, but not then. He was just a customer. <laughs> Before yeah. he was Mr. PC on the Apple commercials. Exactly, right, on, yeah. Uh, you yeah. Know, the John was an agent show. at Ryder's house, and he hung out there you know, with, with Pete and, from the Times. and Pete like, Wells, yeah, of course. And, and after a while, John said, you know, Dale, you, you got to write the book. And I said, well, you know, and I told him the Dell book story where Joe threw me out of his office. I was going to try to write a book with Dell books, right? And we don't know the name Rainbow and he threw me out of his office and told me he was going to write the book if anybody was going to write it. And I, and I said, you know, I don't know, John. And then we came upon the idea and then he enhanced it. Waldy Maloof had his restaurant over on 56th Street. And he said, what if we were to bring publishers to you and you make drinks and tell them stories? 
I said, yeah, that's a cool idea. Let's do that. So Audrey, by then, Blackbird had closed. And, and Audrey, I, I introduced her to, to Waldy, and he hired her over there. And Waldy gave me his bar between three. 2.30 or 3 and 4 because it was dead empty. And John arranged, as soon as, as, soon as the editor found out that it was going to be drinks, there were five of them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so for each publisher, we had like five people, and I worked my ass off. I'm making drinks, you know, and telling stories. And, and the, when the hour went by in a second, well, we got three bids on the book. <laughs> there you <That's> go. Amazing. <laughs> And John said, stick to your principles, Dale. Go with the most money. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out to be so much fun, you know. And then right after that, John's mom died, and he, and he left New York, and he moved back to Boston because he had to settle the estate. And, and he turned me over to a woman named Susan Ginsburg, who was actually the senior editor at, at uh, Writer's House. And boy, I'm telling you, she is such a talented and lovely woman and really good at what she does. And it's been a pleasure to do the, the other two books with her and to have her the, as my agent. That's the story of how it got written. Uh, it was really John who pushed me into it. He said, you're, you're stupid. And he was doing the Great Book Lecture. Remember that? And I was going singing in Brooklyn at the Great Book Lecture. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The oh, little yeah, yeah. Great yeah, yeah, Book Lecture. Yeah, at, um, at, at yeah. What was that place? Galapagos or whatever it was? Yeah, like, well, like, Galapagos. I, I did. I played George Washington in one of those. <laughs> I remember going to one about gambling, one about like, Oh, they were so much fun. They were yeah, I mean it was based on that like this there were these booklets, these little blue books that were published, I don't know, like in the thirties, twenties, thirties, about all types of topics. There is one about cocktails. And I guess, you know, Hodgman, you know, would each time collect different people and they would do a little talk and then he would actually give out like when you each person got like a little gray book that he would bind, I think, himself with like volunteers. I still have them somewhere. Um, I wish I had one of those. It was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. And then, of course, he became famous. So, um, and, you know, and the, and the musician is. And we never saw him again. Um, Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. <laughs> it's sort of hard to you know, convey to people just how small of a world it was at the time, how few people were really, I mean, everybody, you know, people drank obviously, but like there weren't that many people who were interested in classic cocktails. Well, you know, I think back to my, uh, I don't know if you remember, but in the late nineties, um, as, as rainbow was winding down, I was looking forward about ways of making money. And I started doing, um, cocktail safaris. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. they were walking tours and I would, I would curate a neighborhood and we'd, we'd hit four places, four cocktails and four, four bites of food, finding places in 1998, you know, yeah. uh, they were, they were few and far between. I remember names like, um, the two, the two Evans, Freeman and Clem, they were both doing really interesting things. Yeah. Michael Waterhouse. Oh yeah. Julie over at that little hotel on, on, uh, on the park, Washington Square Park. There were, there were, so it was hard, you know. Remember yeah. uh, Fred McKibben? Fred Kibben, absolutely. I think several at his place. Yep. Yeah. 
These yep. are some of the, the oldest files in the file cabin of my mind that you're pulling out here. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the, the, the corners are bent and, you know, the covers yeah. are a little yellowed at this point. So stained, have, stained with whiskey. You know. I have a story to tell you about that. Um, you know, Esquire, I mean, uh, New York Magazine hired me uh, to do a, and they actually got a car, you know, and, and and a group of people and they were going to put it in, and they did, they wrote it up in, in New York magazine. And, um, the, Henley, what was his name? Henley, the guy used to do spirits for New York magazine. Anyway, uh, he also did a thing up at the rainbow room where he brought up, he brought a, a woman who wrote uh, sex in the city and he brought a, a winemaker and he brought a rose a woman for the lobster from the original lobster club. I can't forget her name, Rosenwein, you know, David. And Rosenzweig. And Rosenzweig. And, yeah. and these, all these people had to give me their least favorite liquid, and I had to make a cocktail out of it. That was another thing that he did. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, it was really crazy. <laughs> wow. But anyway, on the cocktail safaris, I had just met Don't Donna try that, Cowie. listeners. That's not that yeah. bartenders don't love that, so don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. No. So, uh, I had just been contacted by this guy named Jonathan Downey. I hadn't met him yet, uh, David. I know you both know him now uh, and he was the he was the match oh, yeah. founder and he was also writing for esquire uk at the yeah, time that's how i met him because i had that job in america <laughs> yeah. what he wanted me to do yes you did of course what he wanted me to do was to come over and and, and i said well listen oh, yeah. why don't you and then i told him what i was doing and i said i got a cocktail safari coming up and it's new york magazine he said can i get hey, I'll get in that mate, you know. And I said, Well, I don't know, I gotta ask him because it's a magazine. So I called up and they said, Oh, no problem, it's UK, who cares? And so he came on the safari, and after the safari was over, I said, Now we're gonna go to a place, and I forget the year this was, it was 2000 maybe, I don't remember. Anyway, it would have to be 2000. It was right after Sasha had opened. Yeah, yeah. so it was 2000. Okay, so it was late 2000. So um, I said, We're gonna go to one place, but I got to warn you, number one, you can't write about it. Uh, it. It's it's just, it's the wish of the guy who runs this place that nobody write about it because he doesn't <laughs> want it. He really, really believes in keeping the, it, it's, it's a tenement building and it's all Chinese. And he, when the guy didn't want to rent to him in the first place and he promised up and down that he would never, you know, have crowds of people. And so we're going to go there. So we went there at like two in the morning and we stayed until... There's no, no such thing as closing at, you know, closing was when the last person left down there because it was underground and you couldn't see in, you know. So, and the door was always locked, but it wasn't locked in. Of course, there's milk and honey that we're talking about. Milk and honey. And so we walk yeah. into this, this little place and I'd been in there before and I introduced him to Sasha who was alone behind the bar as he was in those days. Maybe the bar back was in the back then, uh, but it was just him at a bar back in those early days. And he made lots of stuff for us, you know, and we stayed and chatted and, and then we stepped out onto the sidewalk and down he turns to me and says, you know what, mate, this would make a cracking club in London. They One did it. year later, he did it. a five story building on Poland street. Yeah. Milk and honey, the club. Yeah. You know? yeah. This guy got stuff done. I mean, he yeah. was he was the guy yeah. who wrote contracts for oil companies in Bahrain. He got stuff done. <laughs> well, I remember going to London in maybe '04 and visiting. At that point, he had at least one of his match bars, and I went because I, you had told me that you had you had helped do the menu. So I went to um, Clerkenwell or whatever it's called, and and went to the original oh, the one on Clerkenwell Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Went to the original one. 
like Matt you Farr know, Socio. Oh no, the, no, the original was on Margaret Street, I think. Looked at you know. No, no, it was Clerkenwell. Clerkenwell was the original one. Yeah, had had a drink or two, like you know, you know, it was before iPhones or anything, so you couldn't really take photos. But like you know, looked around, had a cocktail, checked out the menu. Maybe I got to keep the menu somewhere here. Who knows? Um, but I remember being like, okay, Dale told me to go here, so I went. <laughs> Oh, uh, Dale, that's where I I met you was uh, when uh, Jonathan brought you you over for the opening of uh, Milk and Honey London. And because I was the Esquire drinks writer in in, in New York, he brought me over just to hang around. Was Audrey with us that time too? Yeah. Yes. Was that around Thanksgiving? Yeah. And he threw us the Thanksgiving dinner up on the fifth floor or something. Am I right about this? Yeah. And we went to all kinds of places. Groucho Club, we went. We yeah. went to uh, Breakfast all, Club, all the, uh, all the bars, the Lab Bar. Yep. Uh, yep. All, all, all of the, you know, we, we had our own little cocktail safari going, which was, was, which was damned amusing. Unbelievable. Yeah, I think that, oh, the Lab Bar was so exciting in those days. The, all those bars were. Well, sadly, I think Milk and Honey, the, the one in London, yeah, just the closed. club just closed for good. Yep. Um, that was always my favorite cocktail bar in London, I have to say. I always thought they had the best drinks. I mean, and, and club, is it's not like a funny moniker. It really was a club. It was only open to the public like certain nights of the week. And I remember going and we'd always have to have somebody make the reservation to get us yep. in there. And, mm-hmm. you know, at one point, I think Jack McGarry worked there, you know, after he yeah. worked in oh, uh, Belfast. Everybody took, you Enzo, know. Enzo, who did yeah. the uh, Enzo's Martini. What did he do? Enzo's drink. He did it in milk and honey. And, and Sasha brought a lot of these guys over to, to New York where they worked illegally. But uh, nonetheless, <laughs> uh, those days are over, so I'm not afraid. Um, yeah, really. Sadly, nobody I, laws did not apply to Sasha, I don't think. You know what I mean? Like that those was, types no. anyway. No, and, you know, he will. He will well, you know, Sasha trained as an army ranger. He could do pretty much anything he wanted. <laughs> so. Yes, yes. It was so wonderful working, you know, in those early days in London. I was there from 2003 to 2008, like three times a month, because there was a a lot to be done. What Jonathan wanted, by the way, what I found when I went to London in in the very, actually the first trip was 1998 when Ideal Marketing brought me over for Absolute. And we did that famous Absolute contest at, at Atlantic Bar and Grill. What I noticed was that they were the first ones when it came to, you know, mashing up weird herbs and fruits into mm-hmm. drinks like, you know, basil and thyme and, and, and rosemary. And I, we weren't doing that stuff in the United States. That started over there, you know, and it kind of pissed John off in a little way because he was a classic. He opened those bars because he wanted to be able to get a classic, great cocktail. Yeah, he didn't want one of those. Yeah. And so he, he, he brought me over. He says, you know, Dale, we got all this, you know, basil and strawberry and gin mixes and everything, but I really want, I want my guys in all of my bars to know the classics and, and to do them well. And so just, just go through all the bars and train these guys, you know, give me a hundred American classic drinks and get these guys tuned up. You know, that was what he wanted. And it took a long time and there was new staff coming and going and there were menus to be made. Uh, Dick Bradsell had left the Players Club, so he wanted to close it and reopen with the Dale DeGroff menu. You know, we did that. Uh, and, and, you know, there was a series of openings uh, while I was there. Mil- um, Trailer Happiness, which my oh, son yeah, happened sure. to be visiting yeah. me in London, and he, yeah. he was there opening night. And that was a fun bar. Place. Oh, you know, and we knew it day one. There, there are times when you, you walk into a bar, you know, we'd all been working on the place, but you walk into a bar, 
you know, and this was opening night. And, it, and at eight o'clock the next morning, we're all exhausted. It's sitting in these banquets, taking shots of tequila. And everybody <laughs> looked at everybody because it was really a tiki tequila kind of bar. Trailer everybody looked at and rum. And everybody looked at, at each other. And we all just said, wow, this is this place is going to be fabulous, you know, and it yeah. was. <laughs> yeah. The commonality in, in all of these stories, and to be honest, most stories um, in the cocktail world, in the drinks world, you play a pretty seminal role. Like, you know, it was you who walked in to like before what Milk and Honey was and told Sasha, like, hey, man, like, make cocktails. Here's the book. Like, <laughs> you're the one who discovered Julie Reiner at like that little hotel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, obviously these people, you know, were incredibly talented and interested in the topic, but it's it's like you have this amazing ability to keep popping up through history. You know, and I say it's not lightly, but I'm not sure if there was no Dale DeGroff, like, would the cocktail have come back? I don't know. Like, because you play such an important role in so many different people's lives over and over and over again. I, I asked the question about if there wasn't for, if there was no Joe Bomb, would we ever have made it to the culinary world that we know today because he he single-handedly you know changed the way not single-handedly that's stupid to say but he was the spark that, sure. that made sure. and for our listeners joe baum like was oh, the head yeah. of restaurant associates who opened up in 1953 he started as the director of new restaurants and then he was quickly with the new worker right at newark airport it was called Restaurant Associates, because the Wexler family ended up owning a cafeteria, the Hawaiian room, and a string of sort of properties that couldn't pay their bills. And so they started a company, and the son-in-law was the first president, and Joe was the director of new restaurants. And he he was working for the Shine Hotel Group in Miami at the time, and he ran for this job. All fascinating, Dale, but this is like this is like your standard three car Monty because whenever I try to talk about you and say like what an important role you play <laughs> in cocktails, well, I was suddenly I was suddenly we that. find ourselves talking about Joe Baum because well, no, Joe was, Joe threw Kevin's Raley, put wine back on the American table by pricing it rightly, having a great and then turning the service of wine into a very familiar and friendly thing. Joe put cocktails back on the uh, on the scene through me you know he told me what he wanted and i went out and i did it he told kevin what he wanted and kevin did it kevin walked up to a table in a normal business suit and said let's have some wine <laughs> you know you kind of did the same thing with cocktails because i remember those old uh, red jacketed bartenders you'd get at places like the oak bar yeah. uh and uh, you know in the pl- in the uh, plaza hotel yeah. all the old new york bars those guys were not friendly no they, they they were not accessible. They had strong unions, and they didn't have to ever worry about losing their jobs. So they exactly. just did what they did. And if the regulars that were the really big paying customers that stayed at the hotel, they treated them like kings. But if you just walked in off the street, yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you didn't do that, though. <laughs> you know? No, I didn't. You, you showed that this is a fun job, that this is a cracking job, you know, where, where and, and, and that part of the fun is, is, making new friends out of everybody who shows up. I wasn't even that fast at the rainbow when we got so busy. I, I wasn't, I wasn't the fastest bartender, but people liked me and they were willing to wait because I was a good, because neighbor. you're friendly. I remember a couple of years ago, this was after, after the rainbow room, maybe 10 years ago, last 
there was some party for, you know, one of the New York cocktail festivals and it was a small room and you were behind the bar and it was like old times and everybody had a drink in their hand. And I walked up to the bar and you had about 10 conversations going at once. Everybody's drink was, you know, full. You're like, no, what do you want? Oh, great. No problem. And you're like, got me the drink, but you kept everybody happy in the room. The whole place was buzzing. You know, it was like, you know, that hour was magical. And then as soon as you stepped off and you were replaced by another very famous, well-established bartender, it wasn't the same. Like everybody ah. left, you know, it, it just it was a different, <laughs> it was a different thing. I mean, it's yeah. just, So at the Rainbow Room, I'd be full. I'm already full. It's cocktail hour. And my friend Carl, the radio guy, would come in with five clients and he, he wants service now. So this is what I would do. I'd say, Carl, uh, margarita, stay right where you are. I'd make one margarita, cut it up in five shots, slide it across the bar and continue with what I was doing. And they'd have something in their hand, you know, and it took me right. one second to get it there. And then I'd go on with a row of drinks that I was making mm -hmm. and finally get back to Carl and say, and by then, then they got, they're shooting the little shot and our little shots were not that small. They were shooting, <laughs> you know, little, uh, it might have been two mini, margaritas. Mini, yeah, little mini margaritas uh, that came from one margarita, you know, because we had the big seven and a half ounce Bormioli cocktail glass back in those days. And uh, that was one of my tricks, you know, ways of keeping people happy. Someone would say, oh, make us those, you know, those uh, uh, Long Island iced teas you're so famous for. And then I'd say, you know, wait, before I do that, let me do, so I want you to do something for me. And I'd make a drink that I was working on for the next menu. And I'd slide it across the bar and say, I want you guys to taste that. I need a name. You know, and I go back to what I was doing to get them off my back for a minute. So I'll get to the Rainbow Spaces in a minute, but take care, take talk about that for a minute. You know, I had all these little gags that I used to get through those moments. You know, but, they're they're gags, but also the you know there are a lot of them are based in empathy, right. in, in thinking about what what's the person on the other side of the bar experiencing, and how can I make them a little bit happier right now? And that wasn't something you saw in a lot of fancy bars back then there was a lot of nose yeah. in the air service and, and, yeah, and a lot exactly. of indifference and, and uh, it was, uh, you know, more like the kind of thing you'd get in a neighborhood tavern. Uh, and it was, it was lovely to see that brought into the fancy bar again. But even this conversation, like, no matter what we're talking about, I always learn something, Dale, right? Like from <laughs> you, like I always learn something, right? And even in this, where you're just, this is like a throwaway for you, like mind blowing for the rest of us to think about because most people don't think about that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I mean, I, you know, they call you King Talk, King Cocktail for a reason, you know what I mean? And, and I think that, you know, the stuff that you think about and you just do. Do you know why like, they call me King Cocktail? Do you know the story? I, I do, but, but it's a great story. So you should share it. <laughs> There was a woman from Current Affairs. She had also worked for the Post. She got her byline, by the way, when uh, when the toy manufacturer climbed the World Trade Towers. I forget his name now. She she knew the cops, and she was waiting on top of the building. They let her up there, and she was the first. She was a copy girl for the old Post, and she was she got the she got the interview. Do you remember his name? The toy manufacturer who created the little clip that fit in between the little channel of the that held the siding on the World Trade Towers. They went all the way to the top with these little clamps, like a mountain climber. And uh, 
she got her byline and then she ended up as a story developer for the TV show Current Affair. And she came, because that was across the street by then, Fox had moved across Sixth Avenue from the Rainbow Room, Caddy Corner. And she came up after work, just exhausted sometimes and angry and whatever. And I'd make her, I'd, she'd say, make me something off that menu, you know. And then she'd say, make me something else one night, this was. And I made her like, five, the first five, I just went right down the menu. And each time she'd go, oh, this is so good. Make me the next one. Oh, this is great. <laughs> I feel so much better. And by the time I got to like number four and a half, <laughs> she said, you know something, Dale? You are the king of cocktails. Boom. That's it. <laughs> just come out that's with it. dot coms. And I said, that's it. <laughs> Kingcocktail.com. That's where it came from. That's amazing. That's funny. I feel like, you know, this could be like a four-day uh, long podcast, but, but uh, thank you, Dale. It was a pleasure to talk to you both. Always a pleasure, Dale. Looking forward to the, the next edition of the Craft of Cocktail, whenever that comes out. Hopefully it won't be 18 well, years. You won't keep us waiting. But. Other people, if, if uh, it was first 9-11 and then it was COVID, I don't think I want to write a third book because who knows what's <laughs> going to happen. All right, fair enough. Don't write one, actually. <laughs> Cheers. Dave and I encourage you to drink responsibly always. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 